That's Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. I'm Meg Rowley, and on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, I welcome back to the show, after a long absence, writer and Zips creator Dan Zimborski. Dan and I discuss a number of things, including which team's projections Dan expects will change the most before opening day, the glacial free agent market, sibling rivalry, and my own very limited and perhaps strange exposure to video games. We also put Dan's version of the Great Winter Meetings Old Fashioned Incident on the record for you. All of that is coming up, but first it is my obligation to tell you that Fangraphs memberships are now available at Fangraphs.com. For the cost of about one deluxe burger from Dick's Drive-In Monthly, you can support the wonderful work at Fangraphs, including the Zips projections of the aforementioned Dan Zimborski, Jeff Sullivan's analysis of what few transactions we have, Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel's prospect coverage, and Jay Jaffe writing about things other than the Hall of Fame. You may also, for a slightly greater sum, purchase an ad-free membership and enjoy Fangraphs without banner ads, facilitating faster loading times. That bit of business being complete, I take you to my conversation with Dan Zimborski, writer for Fangraphs which begins right now. We can just start talking because, Dan, I'm realizing it's been, it's been quite a while since you've been on Fangraphs Audio. It's been, it's been a stretch. Yeah, since the, since the dark days of Carson's reign of terror. That, <laughs> that, that was my last time on the show. Your mortal enemy slash best friend. <laughs> we had a good shtick going. I, I I miss it because I, I I felt very comfortable insulting him, and he felt very comfortable insulting me. So it was a kind of fun relationship we had. Well, hopefully uh, the two of us can sort of devolve to that level of sort of uh, com- comfortable animus uh, between friends. But welcome back. You're you're Dan Zimborski. You're on the show now. Here you ah, are. Yes, that 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 is me. <laughs> that is my name. Uh, I'm always it's 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 tricky though. People still call me Dave Zimborski, and I don't get how they get the last name right and not the first name. But that's that is that's a mystery I will carry to my grave. Yeah, I would say of all the places in your name to make a a mistake, I would not assume that that Dan is the place where people would fall down. Yeah, it's 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 the one part of my name that the letters come in consecutive order that make kind of sense because sure. <laughs> when you when you spell my last name to people, all it, bets are off. Yeah, one letter at a time. They still it, don't know. It, it's like none of the it, none of the words are what they expect. Like you're listening to a song and you think you know where the song is going, even though you haven't heard the song before. Sure. If someone says Z Y M B, it's like no, I I have no idea what I can't even pretend to sing along to these lyrics. Yeah, we veered wildly, of course. <laughs> uh, and, and the worst is my mom when whenever she's on the phone and she's spelling her last name, she will do the whole thing. She'll say S as in Sam. Z as in zebra, Y as in yo-yo. And it takes her about 45 minutes to just get through the whole name. <laughs> Gosh, booking flights in, in the good old days must have been a nightmare for her. <laughs> when you had to do those things through a travel agent over the phone. Dan, what's yeah. what's gone on in your life since the last time you were on Fangraphs Audio? We saw one another in Vegas. That was one thing. Yeah, I was unfortunately I was kind of I was kind of getting sick in Vegas. So I, I wasn't my normal ebullient self. I was I was kind of tired and I was endlessly hot because I had gone from zero degree place. temperatures to sixty five instantly. Oh sure. And I felt like it was like eighty at all times, unfortunately. <laughs> Well, and it's just a place uh, full of, you know, wild smells and sights. So it's just not, it's not a place where you would naturally find your equilibrium, I wouldn't expect, especially if you're getting sick. 
Yeah, it, it was actually my first time in Vegas. I had never been before. Oh, really? Uh, I never did get to a buffet uh, because <laughs> we we were we were eating nicely with Dave every night. Uh, the the yes. whole the whole gang, and I was there a day later than everybody else. Oh, uh, because I I'm very poor at reading a calendar apparently, and I oh, actually. No scheduled my air air flight uh for about a day after everybody else was gone and so i thought to myself that i was gonna go to a buffet but i was already getting sick and there's something kind of sad about a fat guy going to a buffet by himself there's an additional kind of like oh there's that fat guy that's why he's fat he's eating at the buffet every day oh goodness Uh, so you have to you have to watch out for the those those social mores that you have to uh, follow well i can't i can't imagine that as a a person who was already getting sick that it would necessarily be a good uh, place for one's immune system anyhow you have a lot of potential uh, sneezing into food, regardless of sneeze guards. So it seems like dodging that was probably the right call. Well, for the other people too, especially. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's, it's uh, it's kind of like when people, I mean, you ended up having to travel, but sometimes people who are very, very sick have to travel and you realize that there's absolutely nothing they can do about it. Uh, but you are, in addition to feeling sorry for them, quite conscious of the recirculated air in a small space for many hours. <laughs> yeah. The, the last day, I mean, I was, I was, I was very stuffed up. I actually pretty much spent the day on my laptop in the bathtub because the, the, the hotel had great bathtubs. Yes, it was very, it was nice. Yeah, you'd sit in the bathtub and they went up to your neck and I just have a regular bathtub and I got home and it's like my regular bathtub, that's just not the same anymore. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the bathtubs were one of the many wonders. We had an experience that I, I, I primed you for. I primed you to tell this story in advance of the podcast because we have heard a version of it from Jeff Sullivan and also from Jay Jaffe and the world cries out for the Dan Zimborski read. But you were there for the famous $85 Manhattans. And the I old just, fashions. The old fashions. Old fashions, excuse. I didn't have one because uh, brown liquor and I don't tend to agree with one another. Uh, and I always lose. So I did not have one. You're right. They were they were not Manhattans. Well, excuse see, they tricked me. us. Because, see, I'm, I'm normally a bourbon person. Mm. But they tempt you with, with all the tools and the, oh, yes. and the assortments and, the, and the, uh, the whole show of the old fashions. So, oh, yeah. So we had the old fashions. And, of course, uh, we didn't really know what the price was. Yes, but. that 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 detail was uh, not offered until after they had already been ordered. At which point you have you know you have a decision to make about how cheap you're comfortable looking, which is uncomfortable no matter what the conclusion ends up being. But thankfully, Appleman's read on the situation was eh. <laughs> yeah, we we just couldn't do that every night, and there were no seconds. Yes, uh, and I yes. think I had the most expensive because there were three whiskeys we could choose from. Yes, and I had the the aged one that was smoky. It was like old grandpa or something. I forget the name, but it it was really good. I'd never really been big on old fashions, but I I did enjoy that quite a bit. I don't know if I would have bought it on my own. Sure. Because my if I'm ordering an $85 drink, I'm not at the other end of the table not hearing what's going on <laughs> before it happens. I I know I'm ordering an $85 drink, but we he didn't murder us. He didn't. So, so we escaped we murder free. We escaped Vegas without without any um permanent casualties, which, you know, I will say as the managing editor of the site was one of the concerns I had going in because, you know, you just never know what folks are going to get up to there. Were you able to – do you think that you would have been able to tell the difference between whatever the next step down in terms of the the agedness of the liquor was? Like, could you have tell – you know, if money were no object and they were to give you a, a taste test, could you have been able to discern the difference? I, I really don't think so. I, yeah. I drink a lot more beer than liquor, honestly. Uh, and – 
I think I would have been able. To, there's there's a point of of diminishing returns for for the for the uh, fancier of the whiskey. I know people who can do that, but yeah. like I could tell the difference between like a decent whiskey and kind of like a generic bottle that says whiskey that you buy for two ninety nine at the local liquor store. I can tell the, the step from there to there. Sure. But once you get from good liquor to very very expensive good liquor. I, I, it, it doesn't really pay that much for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think I would have been able to, I don't think I would have been able to tell the difference if it had been me. I mean, I wouldn't have been a super reliable uh, person having not accumulated a large sample of things to compare it to, but I don't think that I would have been much use to us in a taste test. I would have failed the group on that score. We're talking about events from several months <laughs> ago because there's just been so little that's happened. There's yeah, just I, been a maddening freeze in the we've market. We've had like two big signings since then, maybe. In I two yeah, months. Yeah, I was uh, is being recorded shortly after we released our Yankees prospect list, our top thirty eight list that Eric Longenhagen and Kylie McDaniel put together. And I was editing their list, uh, and one of the prospects involved was uh, acquired in a deal for Brian McCann. And I had forgotten that Brian McCann returned to the Braves. I just didn't remember, and it was a shocking lapse because he's one of like four people who have a new home. Yeah, well, we, we've still seen trades, but yes. we, we've seen, of course, a lot of, to be nice, thrift this winter. I'm not surprised when you talk, say, the second or third tier free agents. Sure. I am surprised that both Bryce Harper and Machado are unsigned at this point. I thought yeah. at least one of them would be signed by now. And when you hear stories of like $170 million contracts, yeah, that's that's posturing. But if a day happened when Bryce Harper signs a contract with a new team, for $170 million, and he moves to that team for like six years or something, I think about 26 GMs should probably be immediately fired at that point. Yeah. I mean, you can understand the Orioles not doing it, but... Sure. It's not a good... It's not a good indicator, even if I agree that it is largely posturing. And, you know, posturing that we, you know, could come from any number of sources, but it's not a good indicator, because they're both 26, you know, and quite good at baseball. They're decent. And we've, you know, we've we've seen that guys who are very good at baseball sometimes remain good at baseball. It's a funny thing about that. Yeah, but it's strange. I mean, I don't believe in collusion. I think there are other factors in play here because I know people talk about analytics, but there's also the very real issue that so much of baseball's growth and revenue has been revenue that's not tied to actually winning baseball games. It's been... Uh, increases in national contracts, which are shared evenly, and and merchandising, and overseas revenue, and internet revenue, and that that kind of revenue source isn't really tied to teams adding wins, and yeah. that's kind of the problem they have to solve because essentially they need to rethink completely how to keep the player share of the pie consistent year to year. Think about an entirely new system essentially in the next three years and get both large market owners and small market owners to kind of go along with that because I don't think it's the kind of problem that can be fixed with a couple iterative changes. Yeah, I think I tend to agree with that. I mean, the way that we've seen, not that, you know, it's it's a perfect solution, but the way that we've seen other leagues deal with it is to have, so in the NBA, there's an agreed upon split of revenue, right? Mm -hmm. And their CBA spends, you know, pages and chapters on what exactly constitutes like shareable revenue, right? So that would still need to get worked out, but they have to pay players 
as a whole across the board a certain share of revenue. And I think that if you had that in baseball and then coupled it with sort of earlier free agency or something to that effect, you'd end up getting money to guys much earlier. And then each individual contract is seen you know, in a slightly different light, as long as at the end of the day, the collective percentage ends up being something that's agreeable and sort of true to the, um, to the terms of the CBA. And then I guess they true them up the next year if like they fall below for one year or whatever. So if contracts happen to be lower, then I think it's a, you know, basically a 50, 50 split. They then get the, you know, players get trued up in the following year is my understanding, which is imperfect granted, but in principle seems like one possible solution to the circumstances we find ourselves in. I think what makes it tricky is a lot of the the ideas of getting money to players earlier is a good one, but you also don't want to get you also don't want to institute a system uh in which you're actually putting into place a large market versus small market type thing that kind of a, a almost a a grotesquely exaggerated one compared to what it's been. Cause obviously there are rich teams and poor teams, even though we think teams could generally spend more money. There's yeah. a diff- there's the limit for the Rays versus say the Yankees. Sure. And a lot of the changes we've seen seem to be changes that benefit the large market teams more than the small market teams, because small market teams used to be able to spend more signing international free agents from the right. Caribbean. And, and that alley was gone. Now, if, there's a point where you have fewer cost-controlled years. That also is something that hurts, say, the Pirates and the Rays more than it hurts the the Yankees or the Dodgers. So that's that's sure. That's, it's it's they have a few moving targets they have to hit. That yeah, are kind of in opposite directions. So I don't envy the negotiators because I don't know if there's an easy answer to this kind of thing. No, I mean, and there wasn't, say, for the NBA, I mean, I'm pretty sure that they ended up having to decertify their union and then reconstitute it going into that year where they worked out that rev split. Yeah, you have to simultaneously get more money to players and also incentivize winning in a more sort of purposeful way, right? But then also think about competitive balance. It is a tricky problem, but I think, you know, we're headed toward annihilation. That's dramatic. Yeah, I hope. Well, see, we have a we have an interest in in there not being a long a prolonged strike. Not only because we're baseball fans, but it calls also because we're employed in the in the execution of 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 media content about baseball. Yes, yes. I mean, there would be there would be things there would be things to write about. But yes, I tend to agree that it is an easier editorial job. Let's say that it is an easier editorial job to write about baseball when there is baseball. I think if there wasn't, it would just be me doing simulations and Cheryl Ring would have like the run of everything with all the labor stuff. Yeah. And then, um, you know, we'd have just a lot to say from a lot of different angles, I would imagine on, uh, on an actual work stoppage itself. And then, uh, you know, Kylie and Eric could write about college baseball. And I mean, the off season, I mean, this off season is a bad indicator because uh, I've, you know, just been busy with, Nothing with eating bonbons, <laughs> but, um, you know, off season time is, that's prime meg time. Cause you get to get, you get to get real weird in the off season. People have a lot higher tolerance for, for weird when there's no baseball. They're like, well, sure. What else are you going to do? It, it, it's kind of throwing all the off season rhythms into, into just flux almost when, sure. when you look at this off season. Cause everything's happening at the wrong time. Because yeah. I, I always knew for years when the busiest times were, when it was, it made sense to roll out some things. We always figured, you know, December, January was busy. It used to be there was a little bit of news when when spring training opened. And then 
when there weren't like cuts or trades and it was just, you know, someone's 83rd player in a depth chart pitching, it, it, there wasn't a lot to talk about. But now there's actually transactions and stuff and nothing happening in January. So it's, it's like all the seasons have gone away when, when you're a baseball fan. Like it's like summer and spring have flipped over or something. Well, and I would imagine as a, um, as a, a maker of projections, as a projection guy, it can be somewhat frustrating. Not that we don't revise them once, uh, you know, guys move teams. They aren't set in stone, but you want to be able to say something a little more solid about what you think a team is going to be able to do. And I would imagine that's proven somewhat difficult for you because, you know, there's like big movers out there that aren't, that aren't signed. Has it been stressful, Dan? Have you found yourself stressed? I don't know if it's stress, but. I think annoyed and annoyed and stress is kind of probably combined into one type of feeling with me, just a mm. general kind of complex is just transmogrified together or, or whatever. I did start them slightly later this year and I hope yeah. that we'd have more finished teams, but I mean, you know, I'm in the second half of the zips and I'm still writing in some of these write-ups what teams should be doing. Right. And it's a little late to still be doing that. Well, and for teams that are, you know, I, for some of the teams, allow me to review that you have that you have done. We can we can safely assume that these projections are probably not going to change all that much. Like, you know, your beloved Baltimore Orioles. Oh. <laughs> that that probably looks the same, barring something very strange. The Kansas City Royals. They're probably looking at the same sort of business. Miami's projection will just get worse, which is sad for Miami fans, all of five of them. But they, they have Neil Walker. They do have Neil Walker. Oh, I don't know that we wrote that transaction. Sorry, Fangrass readers. <laughs> I, forgot, I always forget about Neil Walker. He, he just seems, it feels like he just signs in, in spring training every year, and then you don't really know he's on a team until they announce a starting lineup. You're like, whoa, when did they get Neil Walker? He, um, I, I wonder in, in a move of just like truly thrilling radio, the, this is not a knock on the, the fine folks at MLB Trade Rumors, but I am going to send to you now, Dan, uh, a tweet that I tweeted. What a delightful thing to reference on a podcast. Let me talk about a tweet I did. Look at the picture they picked for poor Neil Walker. He looks about as thrilled to go to Miami as a human person should reasonably be if they're signing with the Marlins. I don't have it yet, but uh, oh, it, if you look in our our little studio, you will you will see uh, a link. Oh, I'm I'm on I'm on. Oh, oh, where is that? I'm on the. Oh, on that. I was yeah. in the our normal Slack page. Oh no, let's see. We're moving into brand new territory here. <laughs> that is the most bored high five I've ever seen. Yeah, this is Neil Walker. I I assume having hit a home run as a New York Yankee, somehow getting a moment of clairvoyance and realizing that in a few short months he would be a a, a Miami Marlin and feeling. You know, glad to have a job, but maybe kind of underwhelmed, just generally. The other, the other player who whose picture that they use all the time that always annoys me. Have you seen the 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 kind of the generic Wade Miley picture that goes around? Yes, he looks very. He looks yeah, a bit startled. <laughs> yeah, I, I, <laughs> he's I, so, somewhat wide eyed. <laughs> yeah, like he just like he just saw like into the abyss, and the abyss looked back, and he he saw like the future of humanity and the past all coming together, and and, and some kind of and some kind of singularity. That's that's the kind of face he has. Oh my, poor Wade. Wade should be happy. Wade's a Houston Astro. He's probably going to pitch in the playoffs again. Good for Wade. Yeah, that that was like one of the weird things because if someone told you like a year ago that Wade Miley would be one of the 
more sought after free agent pictures mm. this winter. You'd think they were kind of weird. Yeah, we will return to Zips in just a moment. When I I wrote our transaction analysis when uh, I believe it was Gio Gonzalez signed with the Brewers. And, uh, you know, look, w- Wade pitched fine last year, pitched well, pitched well even. I said somewhat flippantly in my transaction analysis that I thought that, you know, innings that you could, any innings you could take away from Wade Miley and give to someone else were probably innings well spent. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Brewers fans did not appreciate that. They did not think that Wade's uh, performance was aberrant and therefore likely to end at any moment. And, you know, they've been vindicated. I think the Astros apparently agree. They tend to sign guys for uh, reasons. But I will not apologize to Wade Miley because he's not online. So he doesn't know. He doesn't know that I was rude. He doesn't know about it. Uh, I mean, if you anyone who's who watched Wade Miley pitch for the Orioles would not be positively or, wouldn't feel right. positively about that or 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 the the seattle mariners uh you know <laughs> now, those brewers, were... brewers fans have been mad at fangraphs all winter it's one of the the funniest kind of unexpected results because when you think of like fan bases that get angry about things you don't really expect to have you know brewers fans mad at you not to mention that you know i think that for many employees of fangraphs.com the, the brewers are a team uh, for which we have some amount of affection because of of, uh, of Fangraphs alums that might work for them. So, yeah, I mean, I think that their particular brand of pitching approach is one that I, I sometimes think that uh, projections have a bit of a hard time sussing out. So I, I personally uh, like that team and expect that it will outperform uh, what we currently have them projected for, which, of course, will change because guys will sign and, and these depth charts projections, I think, are only based on Steamer right now. But we have them projected for... Last place, which got people Oh, <laughs> goodness, 79 wins. Yeah, I imagine that that number will go up both in theoretical form and then in actuality. So it's okay, Brewers fans. We're not out to get you. We promise. It, it would be a really strange conspiracy of all the things in the world to to plot against <laughs> Brewers fans. They're nice people. I I uh, have been I have been to that ballpark. I have been a denizen of what I guess it's not going to be Miller Park anymore. Like this change, it makes me say silly stuff that's wrong. Yeah, but, I already um, forgot it. Like family something. I already. It's a how- it's American Family Insurance Park, or or I bet that they will call it AmFam Park. AmFam's based out of Wisconsin, so uh, you know they have a, a local presence there that I guess makes some amount of sense, but less fun than than uh, beer. bad beer. But um, who else have you projected? The Mariners' projection will probably not change all that much. Neither will Texas's. Texas is that's hard to say. Well, the Mariners will change because you know there's like 17 more trades to happen. Sure, but it probably won't get better. Our understanding of the likelihood of them competing in 2019 probably will not change, regardless of the uh, direction of those change. Not meaningfully, anyhow. It'll probably get better than the uh, the steamer projections because I sure. look at the steamer and you can see where Zips disagrees and agrees the most. Like last year, Steamer liked the A's a lot better than the Zips than Zips did. Zips hated the A's. Yeah, and then it was kind of the flip side with the uh, with the Braves and the Brewers, in which Zips liked them significantly better. So it's always fun to see what the disagreements are. And people always ask me, like, how does your projection system differ from Steamer? Mm-hmm. And I'll say, well, you know, I know my projection system really well, but St- the Steamer guys don't give me all their code for what they're doing. They don't, I don't I don't know the algorithms, and I'm sure 
I'm probably the person they're least going to share these things sure. with for obvious reasons. I don't. Yeah. I, I I like Jared Cross. He's a cool guy. I don't. But I don't. Yeah. We don't share our secrets back. Yeah, you're and not. Forth. You, you don't bear him any ill will. You're just natural competitors. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, same with Nate. I never had yeah. a problem. I never got, didn't get along with Nate, but we didn't. You know, give the secret sauce around. Yeah. But uh. So that's always a funny question. It's like, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, sure. I can't tell you. All I can say is I do mine and they do theirs and that's it. And we go from there. I guess uh, of the un, of the unfinished teams, the teams you have not yet published your Zips projections for, let's look. What Which ones do we think are likely to move potentially move the most based on free agent signings? San Diego could because yep. they've been active. Yep, and, and and linked to players that would make a, a pretty significant difference, right? They're not just uh, linked to, to schlubs, like they're being linked to, uh, you know, Machado, they met with Harper, they are in the Real Muto conversation, uh, they might actually sign a starting pitcher in Gonzalez, like, you know, they've been linked to real to real guys, so paper guys. Yeah, it's it's kind of a, a, re- a repeat execution of the let's, let's buy a star before yeah. we're good. But at least this time it would be a star, right? Yes, I know everyone. I know I got the reputation as an as an Eric Hosmer hater. I don't hate him, but it was kind of a silly, silly signing. It has to be a very strange part of being an athlete, a professional athlete, because you know I don't. I mean, I'm sure that there are exceptions to this rule, and I know that there have been mo- reported moments where you know Hosmer has maybe not been particularly gracious to some sabermetrically inclined uh, reporters in the past but i don't think yeah. that any of the the public pleading to not necessarily have him be the person who gets that contract is the result of animus right it's just that like i think people were skeptical that the performance would be there but it has to be a very weird experience as a human being to have people just talking so much and and so loudly about your anticipated work output I I would find that very challenging. I mean, I don't like Twitter, so I can only imagine what it's like to be a professional baseball player. It seems like it would be awful. Yeah, I I I I've never asked anyone about that. It's it's weird. Most of my conversations with baseball players tend to be about non-baseball things. Sure. I'll, like I'll talk with Trevor May about Fortnite and 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 various games. I I'm a better analyst than a reporter, let's <laughs> say. You know, it takes a it takes a variety of skill sets. So that's I think that's fine. It's good to it's good to be good at what you're good at and also know what those things are so that you, you know, make good choices. I wonder if you have had rec- we 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 can return to zips again shortly because I know there are other teams that would change, but I I feel like this is an opportunity to discuss a thing that I know very little about and that you know a lot about, which is what do you expect is the most popular current uh, video game sensation that is occupying baseball players in this offseason is it Fortnite? is everything oh, it's, just Fortnite now it's it's every everything in the world is Fortnite now mm-hmm. uh the, the the revenues that uh epic games has made from Fortnite is just an unbelievable number essentially they make they, they developed the unreal engine that teams lease but they made three billion dollars in profits in 2018 and that was mostly from Fortnite, which that is seems crazy. An, it's an obscene amount of money. I mean, their revenues or something, they generate two and a half million dollars a day in revenues. I think what one of the estimates was uh, just Fortnite alone. That is an almost incomprehensible number to me. 
I will share with you, Dan, and with our listeners the following, which is that I am not much of a, a video game aficionado, which is not to say that I have, uh, you know, any qualms with people who enjoy video games. Like, you should like the stuff you like. It's fine. This is not like a referendum on, on video games or the people who like them. But I just have not found myself in that camp in the course of my life. And I have played, uh, I think, four video games. And the list of those games is as follows. I, as a child, played Frogger, which is great fun. I played, I played Mario. I played a game that my, my sister and I had, which was a, I actually might have been on the computer, not on a console that was a, a Star Trek Voyager Borg game. You had to like escape the Borg. And then we played Half-Life. I feel like that's a weird distribution of of things if you have only played four video games in your life. It is. You've gone from a frog to Janeway to post-apocalypse. I wonder if there is a psychological profile to be drawn up that (laughs) probably makes me sound disturbed in some kind of profound way. Those early video games, because I've been playing video games since I got an Atari 2600 when I was four. So that's been, that's been a good 35 years. Wow. Some, some of the, some of the, uh, the concepts for the games that we played then and didn't think about were so rudimentary and so basic that it would seem ridiculous to make the same game or even a variant of it today. Sure. When you talk about Frogger, I mean, it was a whole game of a frog jumping on lily pads and past traffic. Well, the, the version that we played, I think, was a, you know, like a 90s re-release. And so Frogger escaped more things. Like sometimes Frogger had to dodge vultures that would swoop down, try to lift Frogger up, take Frogger away. Sometimes Frogger had to bob and weave between boulders falling down a hill. Uh, other times Frogger had to escape crocodiles, like... I guess that's the lily pad thing, but you know, there were, there were more variants than, uh, than the old version. But yeah, your point is well taken. Like at the end of the day, you're just trying not to get squished or eaten by something. And that was even kind of high concept for, uh, for a video game because yeah. there was a game called Freeway, which you were literally just a chicken crossing a road. That, that was all. There was just a lot of traffic and you were just a chicken crossing a road. So it was just a less advanced version of Frogger. Yeah. It, uh, there and a different was... animal, I suppose. There was a game that was just called Circus, in which you had clowns on a seesaw popping balloons for points, and you'd have to catch them or they would die. And that that was the whole game, just huh. catching the seesawing clowns jumping up in the air with like a little, I mean, it didn't look a seesaw, it was a line, and you had this little paddle sure. controller that you turned back and forth, and you just had to make sure that the clowns didn't splat and die. That was That was a game that people actually bought... Their their parents had to give money for them. Sure, get money for the games. They had to. They got excited. They opened it up. They played it for months, and yeah. we had that game. And I I played that for a long time too. But I I don't know if I if you could sell that today, even like a really high graphic version of clowns on a seesaw popping balloons. It just it wouldn't work. No, you probably couldn't. I mean, I was struck by my my younger brother is um, twelve years younger than I am, so like he is a college student now. So I, you know, he he played video games and grew up playing video games, and I just remember the moment I realized that like his understanding of the world was just fundamentally going to be different than mine was when he got I don't remember what console it was, but he got you know the cool new console for Christmas, and my dad and stepmom were heroes, and Cole was has never been happier than he was on that day, and he he opened it and immediately started like 
futzing with the TV and stuff to get it set up. And I was, I was like, well, cool. Like the rest of us aren't, you know, you're not done and we're not done opening presents. Like I, I get you're excited, but come on, man, like be present in this moment. And he's like, no, no, I gotta, I gotta get it loading. It's going to take a while for like all the stuff to load so that I can play. And I was like, oh, so this is kind of like how I don't understand Snapchat. I don't understand this. I don't, I don't know what, what you're, what words you're using right now. So, uh, we all get old and it's very scary, I guess, is the takeaway from that story. <laughs> oh, I, I understand. I understand where he's coming from. I don't understand oh, yeah. Snapchat, Snapchat either. No. I didn't understand Google Plus, but nobody else does. So I'm, I'm cool with not understanding that. No. Uh, because you see, in the old days, when you, when you, when you sold a game, that was the game you were selling. There was no fixing anything. Right. There was, there was none of that. It, it was the game. And if you screwed something up, then someone had to return all these little plastic cartridges and, and your right. company would have to pay for that. Now, all, all these games, when you, when you buy them for PlayStation 4, Xbox or, or whatever, they all have patches and updates. And so when you start, when you get your game machine now and you put your disc in or, 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 or whatever, you don't get to just start playing. You have to log into like the game, the console's operating system. The, the, the Atari 2600 did not have an operating system. It had a power button and like a weird select switch that looked like something from like a, a 70s science movie, just a sci- sci-fi movie that you would select one of the like 50 variants of each game. But you have to like download like 50 gigabytes of data before you can play your game. So yeah, you have to get that started before the rest of Christmas. There's just nothing uh, around that. I'm going to tell him that you're validating his choices and he's <laughs> going to feel so vindicated because that's how little brothers feel when they end up being right. But I'm not happy about it, Dan. I'm not happy about having to cede that point to him. Yeah. Oh, I have sibling rivalry too. My, yeah. my family, the most important thing growing up, it was never, you know, about you know, making money or, or doing great things or helping people. It was always about being right. And that was always, that was always the, the height of victory in my family was to be right about something. When Thanksgiving, I used the word grandiose. Sure. And my sister thought she got me, uh, because she thought it was a French word that was pronounced grandois. Oh, that is delightful. So she stopped at Thanksgiving dinner. She says, no, it's grandois. And she runs to get the dictionary. And looks it up, and then her face turns red because it was I-O, not O-I. She thought it was French. And we've been teasing her about that now for 15 years. Her her husband knows about it and teases her about it, too, uh, even though she wasn't even married at that point. I mean, she was, like, 18. <laughs> so. This is just a story that has been passed down over, you know, Thanksgivings and Christmases to try to sway a, an in-law to your side. Yeah, and nobody at the table was upset that we kind of stopped dinner so she could look it up. It was important for my family to be able to establish who was right and who failed. (laughs) I wonder if, you know, part of why we end up being so, at various stages of our lives, such rabid fans is because we have the sibling dynamic to sort of to grow from and then transpose onto other aspects of our lives. So really the reason that Red Sox and Yankees fans hate one another is because they grew up in households with some amount of sibling conflict and then have to go search that out in the world, find a new outlet to be convinced of your righteousness and your superiority to someone else. <laughs> yeah, that, maybe that's why I do projections. That's, that's the whole thing. I need to be right. Uh, and I need everybody to know if I'm right. I think we're all motivated by a desire to be proved correct in the world. I guess we will we will look to 
we'll look to our blank bits of our zips map to see where else people might change their minds and then be proven right. I guess the Brewers projection can move pretty significantly, as we mentioned. White Sox. I mean, the White Sox are, yeah. I mean, they, they've signed yeah. everybody that Manny Machado has ever known growing up or has ever talked with. They, they've signed all these people. I wonder how effective I, – I will admit to being – because I have a very particular article idea in mind to wanting Manny Machado to end up signing with the White Sox for a contract that reflects his actual value. Let me be clear. I, I am not on board with $175 million. That is a gross underpay for Manny Machado. But I wonder about the strategy, the supposed strategy that, that signing, you know, Yonder Alonso and his – coach and this guy and that guy it will actually work because especially in Alonzo's case, you know, they're, they're brothers in law. And I wonder what expectations the White Sox can realistically have about, about Yonder Alonzo saying to Manny Machado, Hey man, I'd like it very much if you would take less money than you're worth. And also, I guess I'll see you at family Christmas. It, it would also be weird if, if it, it reduced his willingness to sign with the White Sox. I love my family, but say if I was talking with Dave Appleman, last summer and he said come work for fangrass we also hired your mom and your sister and you can work with them every day i'd be like i yeah that wouldn't be a, a persuasive tactic to you no it, w- it would not be i mean i love my mom but i don't want to work with my mom yeah it does seem like a very high stakes kind of strategy and you know obviously just at its core a kind of silly one because you know, obviously, free agents have choice in where they go. And so a guy who might get uh, contracts of, you know, of equal amounts, uh, contract offers of equal amounts from different teams can then make a decision about secondary considerations, right? Like, oh, I like to live in this city, or my kids don't have to move if I stay here or what have you. But you are making a very large assumption as the White Sox front office about the state of uh, familial relations in in the Machado Alonso households. And I don't, I mean, they seem to get along. I don't know of any reason why they don't, but you're right to say that is a, that is a different level of, of getting along than just, you know, liking your family, but appreciating uh, appropriate distance. It's as if they're setting up a play date, not a $200 million contract. <laughs> Well, they they certainly don't seem to be setting up a $300 million contract, which I imagine is the primary sticking point as far as Manny Machado is concerned. Yeah. Uh, But I wonder if they thought to themselves how much money they could save with each family member, like just priced it out. Let's see. We have yonder. We can we can knock our offer down about 25 million for that. Yeah. It's like I I, I don't know many. I don't know. I have good friends, but I don't know how many I would change my career plans for twenty five million dollars. Yeah, I mean, it is a, it is, um, at a certain point, I think everyone's like, yeah, I, I get it, man. It's fine. I don't, I'm not going to read this as you disliking me. I'm, I'm going to read this as you, you know, getting, getting what you're worth and do in this, in this environment. Uh, I'm sure that Yonder Alonso will understand, uh, if and when Manny Machado signs elsewhere, if it's for a contract that's significantly more than what the White Sox are offering him. I, I, I kind of like to imagine that Yonder kind of sold the White Sox. Oh, sure. Yeah. He's like, oh, oh, yeah. Now, now he's under a lot of pressure to make it happen. Well, I mean, the the nice thing is, if we assume that Yonder Alonso is something of a trickster, and I, you know, tricksters are fun. They can be fun. That's not a. I don't mean that in a derisive way at all. You know, someone who just like enjoys a little bit of of friendly and and good natured ribbing. You know, this is a great 
play for him because he can say to them, well, yeah, like it might sway his decision making, but his contract isn't dependent on that. It's not like they can put a clause in his deal that, you know, should he, (laughs) should, should Manny go elsewhere that Yonder will be DFA'd the next day. So, you know, it's a good, that's, that's a good little bit of, uh, of insurance. And, you know, maybe it makes a difference. Maybe it doesn't, but maybe Yonder gets his deal and then he goes to Manny and says, Hey man, like go somewhere else. We don't know. We yeah, don't know. I, yeah, it's 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 one of those mysteries. I I love tricks in baseball. I I've, I was always disappointed that there was never any chicanery with the Canseco brothers. Yeah, like, like have them. I think if you played it right, you could have gotten Jose two at bats every time through. Oh with sure. Some, with some you know rip off uniforms, but they never did that, and that would have been fun because you y- you know that if like Bill Veck had been around, he would have oh, yeah. tried it at some point. So I was always disappointed. Oh, for sure. You know, the Mariners had had the West, the NL West as their interleague rival last league, I guess, uh, division last year. I'm saying words. And, you know, the Dodgers came to town and it was very disappointing that Corey was out with uh, with with TJ because I was looking forward to like Corey and Kyle, maybe John at each other a little bit in a, you know, friendly way. Uh, and we didn't get to see it because because Corey was broken. It was sad. I was sad about it. There should be more brothers in baseball. It looked like they, until Kyle's decline, that they might have been the most equal brothers in ability, yes. which is fascinating because there's always like a good brother and like the bad brother who gets jobs because of the good brother. Sure. Like Kyle and Bill Ripken. But, but several of the boons. Yeah. It looked like that, that Kyle and Corey, it, it didn't happen because of his decline, but it looked like they could have been about the same value. Sure. I actually have to, I should check that out, see what the most even family members were. I think that, well, I mean, the part of my brain that is still ostensibly a Mariners fan will say, Kyle could still bounce back, which is true. We don't know. The future. The Zips isn't bad. The Zips no, is not, not bad for him. I mean, it was over two wins, which yeah, is he, something. Yeah. We're going to see how much the broken toe mattered. He has to learn how to hit against the shift. This is not a Mariners podcast. It doesn't matter. Um, but they're part of baseball and it's a subset. And you know, the Poto has been keeping us moving has kept things moving along this off season. Yeah. He's been kind of the 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 narrator of the off season, kind of like Yeah. He's like Tim Curry in the Clue movie. That's a great. I like that. It did require you to write very late into the day, the Friday before Christmas though. That was inconsiderate of Jerry. When you're a writer, you have to do it at weird times. I I once wrote, I think it was a Danny Herring trade. I once wrote because I had a power outage because like two gusts of wind and my and the power in my neighborhood goes out. Oh dear. I so I I did mine in pajamas in my car in the McDonald's parking lot at like Sunday night at eleven thirty PM and I I I ordered cheeseburgers. I didn't want to just be creepily sitting out there sure. in the car. So I, I ordered cheeseburgers so I wasn't like stealing their internet. But I, I've had to write in some weird situations. I don't get the people who write on their phone. I could not text an entire article and it wouldn't be readable because of the you know the the auto correct errors because i have i have what's i have a condition called hot dog fingers (laughs) is that is that an official medical term yeah that's 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 a medical term it's it was discovered by albert schweitzer Ah, learn something new every time you listen to paragraphs audio yeah so so you had to be prepared to work at weird times yeah you were a good sport. I'm 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 usually a pretty good sport about yeah, things. I I can confirm I, that. I do tend to lose track of days. That's that's one thing this job is. There's no real defined weekend or yeah. nine to five, and 
So I I will get days wrong and times wrong and just it's just a bunch of randomness. It's not a very structured environment because sometimes I need structure because I'm very very distractible. Sure. I mean, it's it's a it's a job that sort of lends itself to that distraction, which is, you know, is one of the trickier things about it. I was going to bring up another set of baseball brothers. Oh, I've recalled this in my time here. I'm finding this spreadsheet. Can I tell you some fun facts about the Romine brothers? A sure. Fun, a fun little fact? Because, like, it's a little fact, because why would you have more than a little fact about the Romine brothers? Oh, I, I, I still call them Kevin. Yeah. I, I, everything that they I are remember Andrew, is kind of... That they are Andrew and Austin does not make it any easier for anyone. I mean, truly. No. It's like the Nix brothers who, you know, their right. family put Ys in in unexpected areas. Right. And you're like, but this isn't. So, you know, they have made – well, so Andrew has about a year's more service time. So I think that that effectively nullifies the difference here because he's just had longer to make money. They are, in terms of their career earnings, uh, just like $700,000 apart. But they are, they'll probably end up making the exact same amount of money. You know, Austin, the catching Romine, is better. Andrew, the non-catching Romine, is worse, but has made more money, but has also been in the league for a, a year longer, so has had opportunity. But I just, I wonder if either of them, as they have negotiated these things and thought about them, have given thought to the idea of like, yeah, you know, like when I'm putting in my ARB numbers and stuff, it, it would be cool if I made about as much as my brother, just in the interests of like sibling love and affection. I wonder if it factors. Probably not. I'm sure it doesn't at all. But it might a little. Who knows? Yeah, it might. I, I recently bought a car. I had an an old Mazda 6, which I had oh, for 15 Oh, sure. Years. Brag about being able to buy a car, Dan. Well, it's not like I got a sports car. Anyway, <laughs> I bought a I bought a my, – my sister has a Subaru. Okay. And and I, I, I had ridden it in a few times, and I was impressed with the performance because I rode with her an icy day. It was like, oh, this is a cool car. Sure. It, it's nice. So I bought a Crosstrek. I thought she had a Subaru Forester, but she has a Crosstrek too. So I bought a Crosstrek also. I, I thought she had a different car. Sure. And it was in my driveway, and she comes up to my house, and she says, Danny, why did you buy my car? Aww. Because it was the same. They were both Crosstreks, both almost black cross treks except mine was a year newer and had oh a better i tr- had a higher trim level than hers did oh boy cr- so she was a little annoyed by that and she doesn't believe that i i did i did i didn't do it to one up her well you know even though you end up being adults these these things as we've established they die hard they do, the the sibling rivalries just persist as long as you're alive Oh, and my mom pushes it too. Cause my mom will occasionally just randomly say, you know, Danny, your, your sister makes more money than you. Oh my goodness. Um, and I'm like, well, yeah, she works really hard. She works, you know, 14 hours a day. She went to medical school. She drives 75 miles for her job. I, she probably importantly doesn't write about baseball. Yeah. She doesn't write about baseball. I'm like, but like, mom, why are you, Megan and I don't have an issue with this. Why, why are, why you must you push to, it? I think she's I think she's secretly angry that we both make more than she does. Oh so goodness. Family is so that. complicated. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't even have a large family. Most of my family either lives in Germany or is dead. Oh dear. Uh, so even with just pretty much my mom and my sister. That's sure. It's it there's at this point there's still quite a bit of rivalry. Well, you know, sometimes intense familiarity can breed friendly but real contempt. So it could it could be that it's worse with a small family than a big one. You have you know fewer parties, but they feel much more intensely about what what uh, what limited parties they have. 
Could be true. Best variety of targets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get to know one another very well. Dan, we were coming up on the 48-minute mark. We started this by just thinking, oh, we'll tell a story about about old fashions and see where it goes, and it, it has gone. So I, I guess I will ask you, are there other things about this offseason that have surprised or delighted or annoyed you that you would like to share with the listeners of Fangrass Audio before we go on our way to the rest of our Fridays? I think if we're getting specific, the team I'm probably most disappointed in and also surprisingly disappointed in is the Minnesota Twins. Oh, say more about that. I kind of felt that the Twins, because I mean, they were they were very active in trying to land you Darvish last year. Yeah. And obviously that would not have gone very well in 2018. But the point is that they were aggressive with their money. Right. Uh, and they looked to see an opportunity because the Indians are not invincible. They have a pretty awful looking uh, outfield. Terribly uh, and, bad. <laughs> yeah. And that that's a surprise, too. I'm still confused about why they didn't give a qualifying offer to Brantley because yeah. the money's almost nothing. Or or that like how is AJ Pollock not on the Cleveland Indians? I guess yeah, I mean, yeah. How is I mean of all of them, he seemed like, okay, you've missed out on other guys you refuse to spend, but you'll maybe go get AJ Pollock. No, didn't do it. Yeah. I mean you look at, at Indians depth charts and from site to site they're very different because other than uh Leonis Martin, people are like whatever jordan luplu or whatever yeah. i don't even know how to pronounce his name properly but it, it's it's a bleak outfield the twins were an opportunity you know hey you know the white Sox aren't realistically going to compete this year the tigers and the royals are definitely not competing this year right. we're essentially you know a one-team battle and they've had surprises before and they did take the indians pretty deep into the season a couple years ago with with leaving the outcome in doubt and i thought that Maybe they go, you know, they bring in Dallas Keuchel. I didn't really think they were going to go after Harper Machado, but I thought there was an opportunity for them, especially if the market was slow, to say, hey, we're going to make a big push, kind of like a little bit like what the Reds did, although with trades rather than signings. Right. Uh, but but they haven't. They've, they've just done a couple very low-key things. I think the Indians still go now go into the season probably a favorite by about 10 games, and that's not a guarantee, of course, but... It's it's just it's just kind of disappointing that the Twins, after all that ambition last year, right. they get you know Nelson Cruz on a one year deal, which is fine. But I mean Blake Parker, Martin Perez, it's it's like you can't do better than this, right? It did seem you know I think the the central uh, the AL central I should say the NL central is very cool and exciting, but um, the AL central is probably the place where. Most of my disappointment also lies. I think my my ire has been directed more at Cleveland than than at Minnesota. But it's a fair point that you know if they had really wanted to go all in and just you know sign a couple of these starters and make a move for one of the big position players, it could have changed the complexion of that division race pretty dramatically. Uh, and they have they have opted at least so far not to do those things. Although, you know, I guess this is one of the irritating things about everything taking so long is that teams can still credibly claim like, well, we're not, maybe we're not done yet. Yeah. And, and the thing is that if the twins had been more aggressive, maybe the Indians were a little more aggressive because right. they feel, they feel kind of lazy. They're right. Like that student that says, Let's see, I can do, I can study for the final exam and I can get an A, but if I only have to pass the final exam to get a B in the class, so I can just blow this off. Right. Yeah. I, I wish that there were more. I think one of the, um, one of the really troubling things about so many teams not thinking that they will win this year and therefore not acting as if they necessarily want to is that it, it also reduces incentives for, 
teams that are very good and potentially would make moves were they in tight races to rest on their laurels. They, they can be laurel resters, even if uh, it would be wise for them to maybe think about how that kind of behavior is going to, or decision-making is going to play in October. But yeah, that's been the, that's been irritating. It's like, what, what incentive do they have in Cleveland to, to do more? Cause they're going to win the central. I mean, in all likelihood, barring catastrophe. And then I guess they just hope that because, you know, playoff series can be kind of fluky that it'll be fine. It hasn't been so far for them for a long time, but who knows? Maybe it'll be different. I mean, literally Cleveland's Big signing this this offseason has been bringing back Oliver Perez. Yeah, who always it always amazes me that he's always been in baseball. Yeah, it always feels like whenever you see Oliver Perez being signed, it always feels like he had been like in the Mexican league for a couple years nope. and was doing a comeback. But no, I think like every year, but like one, I think he has gotten a job and picks regularly and once in a while actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah. And just like you said, for just such a long time, for just a long, long time, when uh, Craig Goldstein, I think, made the joke, he has been all over Perez. Ha ha. <laughs> what jokes? We like jokes. jokes. I, I make dad jokes, too, so yeah. I can't complain. I make dad jokes. I resent that they have been associated purely with dads. Can apply to all sorts of folks. But it makes dad seem lame, so. Oh, well, I guess that's true of some dads. I mean, my dad had a pretty I, – I, I don't remember a lot of jokes – because it's been, you know, he he died 20 years ago. But he loved saying, you're such a card, you ought to be dealt with. Oh, boy. He said that so often. So whenever I hear the term dad joke, I think of my dad going, you're such a card, you ought to be dealt with. Like, oh, God, that's my dad's joke. <laughs> oh, boy. That is, a, that is a pretty peak dad joke. That is peak dad. It's worse than any joke I've ever made. Okay. <laughs> I guess it is nice that we always have ourselves to have our dads to compare our own senses of humor with and, and often come away feeling quite good about ourselves. That is a nice that is a nice bit of uh, business that dads potentially do, I guess. Hmm. Funny. Yeah, now my, now my grandfather, my mom's dad, my mom didn't like him joking uh, because, I mean, despite being an extremely educated lawyer, he always had very off-color jokes. Oh, dear. Yeah. I imagine around children, especially that that can be um, the that experience can result in a in a variety of outcomes, some of which are very not good. <laughs> like like when I was twelve, my mom would get annoyed with him because he would always tell us, like we were like little kids, saying, "Be good. If you can't be good, be careful. If you can't be careful, name it after me." Oh boy! And of course, you're telling like you know like a, like an eleven or twelve year old that. And I was like, goodness, Dad. that's a lot. That's a lot. That is almost <laughs> too hot for Fangraph's audio to handle. I don't know how this episode will recover. I think but that he did buy a spear though, too, so that was nice. Oh my gosh, the great corrupter! What are we going to do here? I think that uh, I think that we will probably call that as a place to stop, just so that we can take time to clutch our pearls and uh, recover our senses. But Dan, I'm so glad that you were able to join me today. Oh, it was fun. This was this was our first podcast together. It was. I think you know. I think we did good. I think we did a good job. We performed. I, I, I think we did well. We'll we'll see how angry people are. <laughs> I don't know that we did anything objectionable. Oh, uh, because I I I still hear it because I was once on a White Sox podcast and I told an anecdote about how I made a little kid cry at the grocery store and some of those people were really mad at me. Oh well, we hopefully did not make anyone cry, little kid or no, in any venue, grocery store or no. I always feel silly asking this of our staff, but Dan, just in case people don't know, where can they find you on Twitter? 
You can find me at D Zimborski on Twitter. That's D S Z Y M B O R S K I. That's S Z Y if you are in Canada. You did that so much more quickly than uh, I expected you to based on the story you told about your mother. I'm yeah, impressed. but I see my problem is I mumble. Ah. And I, I talk, I get excited and I talk faster and faster and my voice gets higher and higher pitched, kind of like Judge Doom at the end of Roger Rabbit. That's kind of how I am. Uh, but so I, I make an extra effort to enunciate my words and something doesn't work. I have a problem saying picture and picture. Uh, I kind of say them the same well, and someone will remind me if I do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be very careful and watch the mumbling. I'm sure that in your line of work, that has never resulted in any sort of silliness. <laughs> never. Of course. Perish the thought. <laughs> And in addition to following Dan on Twitter, you can also find his work at Fangraphs. Uh, we are, I guess, what, about halfway through our Zips rollout? Yeah, we, we passed the halfway mark. There are 14 more to go, which we will knock out in the next couple weeks. And of course, uh, Dan does not exclusively write about Zips. You can find his writing on other subjects there as well. Dan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. 